forgot that my show starts at four o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, hey, come on now. And, and, and the best part is he's like, you should be here a little bit earlier. If you knew how good I was at my job, you knew I didn't have to be in here earlier. Come on now. I, I, I have respect <laughs> for you, but uh, let's talk a little bit about getting into the studio about 10 minutes early. I don't need to be in here 10 minutes. I don't even pick my nose for 10 minutes. <laughs> well, I, I think you got to prep in the studio. You got to clean Oh, I need to studio. prep in the studio, not in my office where I'm already at, just hanging out. You have to claim the studio. There's many of us in here. Claim the are. studio. I'm here at f- <laughs> I'm show four. Ajay, come on now. Oh no, come on. Hey, uh I was just sending across to me, and this is awesome to have him around. Uh Greg Matson, who was my color guy last year as I was calling Bear River play by play. Um and he uh he's sitting next to me here today and it's it's good to have him here. Uh we have a let's see. We're on till yeah, we'll be on until 6 tonight, cause I, and then I head over to Mountain Crest. High school basketball, big games tonight, by the way. Weber is at Mountain Crest. Uh, Pineview and Skyview, number one and number two, respectively in the 4A class, will face off against each other in the North-South Tournament uh, at 7 o'clock. The game before them at that same place will be Ridgeline versus Desert Hills. That Boy, will, that'll, uh, be, that'll be an amazing set of games right there. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good way to start. Uh, we, we got a lot to get into. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll get into Utah State talk as they defeat San Jose State. Uh, struggled in the first half, pulled away in the second half. Uh, Justin Bean, once again, my gosh, is he something special. Look, they're talking to me, Ishketa, they're talking Sam Merrill. Justin Bean, if he continues to do what he's doing on his double-doubles, could easily be Mountain West Conference Player of the Year. Think about that. A guy who was a walk-on one year ago, then turned scholarship midway through the season, could be the Mountain West Conference Player of the Year if he continues this little streak he's on. It's it's something else. Yeah, uh, that's that's a great story in itself. The walk on itself. That's a that's pretty cool. Greg has a great uh, knowledge of basketball. He's he's really knowledgeable in, in football as well. So we're gonna hit about every aspect. Hey, by the way, so when you're walking into the office, uh, when I was doing my prep, accordingly, uh, I was. I've been really intrigued by this whole. Have you seen the NFL 100 All Time Team thing? I've been watching it. Yeah, is it that is so fun to watch? And I'm a bit behind right now. I'm actually I've been watching the defensive uh, line and linebackers. You've you've seen a lot of football in your life. I am sort of calling you old in a more subtle manner. <laughs> Who sure. would you rather take as your starting linebacker, or on the offensive side? Or actually, no. Let me ask this two different ways. Who would you rather take as your starting linebacker? Ray Lewis or Lawrence Taylor? Do you want to do that right now, or you want to come back? No, this might this might be a long. But this is why I, I have <laughs> to, because I'm so intrigued by watching that. I was so just uh, oh, I, I was sitting there for 20 minutes watching the thing. I don't think there's any question in my mind at all. It would be Lawrence Taylor minus the off the field issues. Sure, sure. If you don't have those off field issues, there's no question. LT is the guy. Why? He's just, he was so side to side. He was up the field. He was pass coverage. He, he was the one who defined the, the innovation to where the offenses had to account for a guy with two guys. You had to know where LT was and you had to change your offense to block him every time you played him. Uh, they also had on the list Dip Buckus made it, Reggie White, Bruce Smith, uh, Willie Lanier, uh, or is it Lan- Lan- Lanier. Lanier, thank you. Um, He's they, my era. Uh, Dick Buckus was the monster of the midways. They used to call him Reggie White. Was whew, he was something else? In fact, Lawrence Taylor says on there, 
Look, people say I'm the greatest defensive player in NFL history. I'm not. It's Reggie White. That is a yeah. compliment above any other you could get from someone like Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, I think uh, I think Reggie White was definitely a force in the middle. The, I, I still anything I've ever watched, offensive uh, coordinators always talked about having to count for LT. Yeah, they they had to. They knew where he was at because if not, he was going to snap your quarterback's leg. I think. Oh, Joe Theismann. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I I was watching. Actually, yeah, I was watching it. I don't remember where I found this from. I don't, maybe you've heard this story, and I maybe I've told this on the uh, on the show. But there's a story of Lawrence Taylor in his second year, and uh, it was a preseason game versus the Cardinals. And Lawrence, uh, you know. It, didn't really practice all that, really a lot that week, but he was going to play. Lawrence didn't need to practice, according to Lawrence. <laughs> no. But, uh, but the Arizona quarterback throughout the week, the starting quarterback, had told his backup, hey, look, you're going to play. Whatever you do, do not make eye contact with Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> and he's like, what, what, why? And he goes, no, do not make eye contact with Lawrence Taylor. Um, And then... All of a sudden, you know, the quarterback gets injured in the second quarter because of Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> so here comes this rookie quarterback in there, calls to play, and then gets in, gets in down underneath the center and starts his reads, looks right, checks the back, checks the cover, looks left, standing right over the edge in the in the in his you know his two point stance, just hovering over the line, rocking back and forth, back and forth as he always did. Lawrence Taylor, <laughs> he makes eye contact with him, forgets his count, calls a timeout with 18 on the play clock, goes back to the sideline, and his coach is just mad. He is livid, just ticked off. What happened? What do you know? What? And everyone just kind of yell at him. Starting quarterback grabs a rookie by the arm and says, you made eye contact with Taylor, didn't you? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I wouldn't make eye contact oh, with him. I wouldn't I'll tell you that, man. I'd be, I'd, I'd be looking at somebody else. Uh, but yeah, Lawrence Taylor easily the great. I mean, easily the greatest defensive player. I don't care what Lawrence now, says. Now you know, back to my era, you you know, if you go to some of the Raiders and the Steelers defenders, like a, a was that Jack, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, Lambert. Excuse me. Yeah, Jack Lambert with no teeth. He was uh, he was a guy I think was an influence in the game for sure. They but, called him Dracula. Was that right? Because <laughs> yeah, he had no choppers when he played. Man, he had, he had nothing in the front. He would he would look at you and and it was like he was grinning, but I think it was because he knew he was going to blow you up. But uh, yeah, Lambert Ham for sure. I mean Joe Green, the whole fearsome foursome line was amazing. But man, oh man, I'll tell you of my lifetime actually being an adult, there's nobody defensively like LT. That's incredible. And you know, and what's crazy is is Coach Belichick, who's been a part of that, and that's been really cool to see, uh, said the exact same thing. He said, there will be no one, and I mean no one, he said, like Lawrence Taylor ever again. Not even close. Uh, and, I, again, that just tells you so much about Lawrence Taylor and his stuff. Again, Reggie White's on that list. Bruce Smith uh, of the Buffalo Bills made that list. Al, uh, Alan Page made that list. And John Randall of the Vikings also made that list, too. Yeah. Two really Alan Page the judge. Bull. He's a judge in Minnesota. Is he really? Yeah, he's he's slapping the gavel on you now. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, that that 
that NFL uh, all-time uh, 100 team has just been so cool to watch. Um, the coaches who have made it so far, of course, is Bill Belichick. Um, Steelers old coach. Give me, come on, help me out yeah, here. Chuck Knoll. Chuck Knoll, thank you. And I, uh, there's one more on there. Well, it would have to be Bill Walsh. No, Bill Walsh isn't on Vince there yet. Lombardi. He's going to be on there. Vince is not on there yet either. Oh, okay, the I countdown's think, up too high. Yeah, uh, they, yeah, they're still saving those guys for a little bit later. Uh, I want to say Tom Landry. Tom Landry, of course, sure. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson? Who? Jimmy Johnson? He'll be up there. He's got to be. He's not on there yet. In fact, now that you got me all curious. Well, the greatest hair is what he'd be on for. Oh, my gosh. He was actually <laughs> on the greatest characters of the of NFL 100. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was He was uh, one of the... Uh, one of the uh, he's on the greatest characters. His team made a couple of uh, all-time greatest teams, mm-hmm. which was yeah. in itself is amazing. Well, um, my my adult years, my my formative years were from about seventy-five through now, and those guys that you mentioned. I mean, Tom uh, Tom Landry. Obviously, everybody knew Tom Landry, respected him, knew how great his teams were. A lot of us uh, kind of saw him at the tail end when when uh, Jerry Jones came in and pushed him out. But uh, there's no question that Tom Landry was an amazing coach in the 70s and, and even early, early 80s. Uh, the other ones who have made it, Doug Atkins made it, Deacon Jones, so how could you forget him? Uh, Gino Mar- is it Marchetti, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leroy Selman. Selman, yeah, Leroy. Uh, then, uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, Junior Sale made the list, mm-hmm. by the way, of mm-hmm. course. Uh yeah, you said like Buck Buchanan made the list. Joe Green, I forgot about Joe Green. Merlin Olson, uh, Alan Page, Randy White, former uh, he, course, those two, him and Harvey Martin were co MVPs in the Super Bowl and that dominating win over uh the Cowboys twenty or Broncos twenty seven to ten when they took out. They had like four turnovers, like or five turnovers. I think three fumble recoveries and two interceptions in that Super so, Bowl game. So look at that defensive line. You got Harvey Martin, you oh. got Randy White, the Manimal. And you got Ed Two Tall Jones. Three of those four guys are Hall of Famers. <laughs> uh, you, as you said, uh, I see Jack Ham, Derek Brooks, yeah. also made that list. Um, let's see, yeah, Lambert, and then Ray Lewis, Junior Sale, and Chuck Knoll was the coach that was introduced as part of that group. So that's a that's a heck of a group. And by the way, they're going to do the defensive back and finalists tomorrow night, and some of the cornerback finalists. Check this out. This is going to Throw your mind back a little bit. Uh, Herb Adderley. Oh, yeah. Cowboys, Champ, right? Champ, yep. Champ Bailey will be on that list. He's one of the finalists. This is not the list. It is the finalist list. Lam Barney, Mel Blount. Mel Blunt. Uh, Mel Blunt. Uh, does he have the Chargers, by the way? Where do, who, or did he play Steelers. for the Raiders? Steelers? Yep. Willie Brown, Daryl Green. He played for the Redskins, didn't he? Daryl Red, Green. Redskins, yep. For a while. Wow, yeah. 83 Fastest fan in the NFL. Mike Haynes. Yep. Uh, former Raiders. Uh, 49er defensive back Jimmy Johnson. Of course, Dick Knight Train Lane. <laughs> uh, Lions. The only present player on this list is Patrick Peterson. He is right now uh, one of he's the only present player on this cornerback list. Mel Renfro, Del Rivas, Deion Sanders. Of course. Ed Charles. Reed? Ed Reed's not on? Ed Reed is on that list. He's actually okay. the safety finalist. Okay. Charles Woodson, Rod Woodson, uh, Aeneas Williams both uh, cap off the uh, cornerback list. The safety list, Jack Christensen, Brian Dawkins, Kenny Easley, Ken Houston, Paul Krause, Yale Larry, 
Ronnie Lott. Lott. Oh, be, man. Yeah. Uh, Troy Palomalu. Troy, yeah. Ed Reed. That's, this is a heck of a list. Johnny Robinson. Donnie Shell. Emlyn Tennell. Larry Wilson. Willie Wood. Cap off uh, the, the rest of the finalists. That is something right there. That's going uh, to be tomorrow night. 6 Eastern is when that starts. And, of course, Rich Eisen, Bill Belichick, and Chris Collinsworth. Uh, they are There's 30 defensive back finalists. In total, they will take 13, seven cornerbacks, and six safeties out of the 30. Hmm. That You know, those names are all, as far as idolatry in my life and sports, those guys that you just mentioned were all uh, definitely sports heroes for me. So let's have a little fun here really quickly while we're at it. Champ Bailey, yes or no, makes the list. How many? How many again? Uh, thirteen totals. What we can take out of these thirty? Hmm. Uh, you know, as far as current players, sure. Yeah, I think he's a good one. Uh, Herb Adderley. That's that's tough for me without seeing film because he was so long ago. Daryl Green. Probably not in my book. Probably not. Dick Night Train Lane. I'm going to put him in as a veterans committee selection. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh Daryl Revis. Darrell Revis. Um, he he was the uh, island, right? Revis yes. Island. Yep. I would say, yeah. Tied for 13th in NFL during career span of 139 passes defended. Fourth in the NFL. He's a four-time first-team All-Pro. Made seven Pro Bowls in an eight-year span from 2008 to 15. Uh, Deion Sanders. On flash alone, yeah, probably. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Talent, too. <laughs> Oh, okay. You're joking with me. Well, no, he's he. Uh, and he was a he was a two way well three way player. He he returned kicks too. Yep, six time uh, first team All Pro, tied for most among defensive backs. NFL Defensive Player of the Year in '94, including playoffs. One of two players with a TD in six different ways: nine interception returns, six punt returns, and three kickoff returns. One fumble return, three receiving, and one rushing. Hmm. Uh, Charles Woodson, yes or no? Yeah, probably not. Wow, Rod Woodson. Yes or no? Probably not. It's getting picky here. Yeah. Uh, let's go. That's, now- that's what happens when you live in Tremont and you get real picky about things. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's go to the safeties. Ronnie Lott, yes or no? Yeah, for sure. I think any of those guys that are multi-Super Bowl champions, they're automatic. Brian Dawkins? You know, I watched Dawkins play a lot. He was a hitter. And he was a smart player. He's Hall of Famer as well. Yeah. Troy Palomalu. Yeah. How many can we do on this? Six again? We can do 13 total. Oh, I got you. Okay, okay. And you're at, I think you're only like at five. Oh, I got lots of room. Ed Reed? He didn't. He only won one Super Bowl, by the way. No, he won two, right? No. They won two, yeah. With he him. only won one because a 2000 team won it and he wasn't on it. Oh, really? Okay. He was 2002 to 13. Hmm. That's a that's another one. That's a tough one. I you know I would say from what I've seen again he came up and was super uh, popular during my era. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I would say yeah sure yeah. How's that for indecision? Without a doubt, I think he's in. I, I I guarantee you'll see him on that list tomorrow. In fact, I bet you I bet you he's at that Pro Football uh, that uh, NFL Team Hundred announcement. That that'd be pretty cool. Uh, a couple of these guys I don't even know honestly. Maybe you old folks who are sitting there listening to us in Texas, but uh, fifty plus. Yeah, Johnny Robinson. I don't know. I mean, he's a nineteen Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame inductee. Uh, mm. Four division titles, three AFL championship victories, starting two Super Bowls. Uh, 
Yeah, that's a that's a long time ago. Yeah, this about is AFL. way before my A. I mean, this, Patrick Peterson, he's, he's current yep, current player. Yeah, yep, 2011 to now. I would say no. Tied the NFL season's single season record with four punt return TDs in 2011. Returned a game-winning 99-yard punt return TD in OT versus the Rams in his rookie season. Uh, entered the 19th season with 23 career interceptions. That's tied for third most since entering the NFL in 2011. And joined Hall of Famers Jim Brown, Barry Sanders as the only players in NFL history to make eight Pro Bowls before the 29th birthday. Mm. So, uh, three-time first-team All-Pro selected by the Arizona Cardinals in the first round in the 2011 draft. He was the uh, he was an All-American uh, and won the Jim Thorpe Award as the nation's de- best defensive back uh, at LSU in 2010. Woo! I that's, think that's impressive. I think Darrell Revis makes it. I just I I don't see how we leave him off. He is he was so good to where Brady. I know Brady said one thing. He said when I when I would go up to the snap, you know, and make my reads or whatever. Two people I always looked for: Darrell Revis, Ed Reed. Every single time. I and I can definitely see that those guys were in his. Generally in his conference, and uh, they were amazing players. I mean, Ray Lewis, you just kind of knew where he was at because he was always yelling at you from across <laughs> the line of scrimmage. But, yeah, he said he always had heat. First thing he'd look at, Darrell Revis or Ed Reed, where are they at? Yeah. Well, and again, I going back to LT, not to keep hitting that same drum. But, no, yeah. I mean, that's what happened with LT. He moved around. They had to find him. If they singled him up, that quarterback was going to be on his back. Hey, if I'm not mistaken, the whole like putting a running back into the backfield to protect the quarterback, that was because of Lawrence, wasn't it? Well, they did that. They also motioned guys over into the backfield. So you had a what, – what was Chris Cooley's position? He wasn't a tight end per se. He was a, a, another, like an up back, a, yeah. a, a fullback, a, a glorified fullback. He would motion over and – he would be the kind of guy that would chip uh, Lawrence Taylor to try to keep him. In, obviously, he didn't play the same era, but um, those types of players were put in to help control a guy like Lawrence Taylor. Well, I'll tell you this. It never worked. They tried <laughs> it, and it just never worked for Lawrence Taylor. That guy was off the charts. Incredible. Uh, I, you know, by the way, Greg Matson here joining me uh, alongside. Great to have Greg here. Uh, did a, did a few games with him for Bear Basketball last year and had a blast. Had so much fun with you. Uh, high school basketball continues tonight. Bear Rivers in the Winter Classic. That starts tonight. Skyview at home versus Pineview. One versus two in the 4A ranks with Mason Faltov as the leading scorer versus the fourth-ranked 4A scorer uh, for Pineview. Um, he'll be on the court tonight. And then before that game at 5-15, Ridgeline will take on Desert Hills. Mountain Crest will be, at, or excuse me, be home versus Weber tonight. That game's at 7 o'clock uh, for all you... Uh, Wanting to tune in, we'll get to, and if you ever want to look up how you can listen to the game, go to cashvalleydaily.com and uh, go to the uh, local uh, high school page. It says football on there, but click on that and you can find the streams and, and uh, the stations to listen to that game. Uh, you know, since we're talking about greats of all time, and now we kind of transition into that high school level, Mason Faltzliff, where does he stand in the amount of great high school athletes that you've seen, what Mason is doing? Where does he stand in your list of ranks as an all-around overall athlete? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. There's so many variables that go into it because it is such a team sport. Uh, Mason definitely is an amazing player, and I never ever would short him. I'm, I've known Mason since he was in third or fourth grade. Um, he played competitive basketball with my son Tyson and Ryland Jones and uh, 
the Brinchley, Brinchley and uh, the, the Green Canyon kids. Uh, we had an amazing AAU team when those kids were little, and it was it was mainly because of Ryland, to be honest with you. But uh, Mason was right there playing up a year. So I, I've known him for a long time, so I might slant me a little bit. But, you know, the state championships, again, they speak to me. But let's talk about that Skyview football team and how many great players there was on there. Mason, yes, Mason was the focal point, and you could tell that because Pineview was focusing on him, but he still went off. And and now you're going to basketball, where last year the teams were focusing on him, trying to stop him, and still averaged nearly 20 points a game, uh, rebounds galore. Is there is there anybody else that you can think of that was a multi-sport player in the last five years? Not for compare, me, no. That could compare to Mason? No. I don't think so. The kid, I mean, the kid comes off a state championship and four days later puts in puts on 36 points on Weber with three dunks. <laughs> I mean, it's just like he doesn't, he, there's no limit to what he can do. He has signed at the University of Utah, which, by the way, we are going to get to here. Can you stick around for the second segment with me? Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk BYU versus Utah. You actually know a few of these kids extremely, extremely well that were on the court last night. One of them in particular took over this game and helped Utah Utes to win. We're going to get to him in just a little bit after this, after this segment. I'm Audrey Salveson. That's Greg Matson on the other side. It's the Full Court Press here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. we also going to talk Utah Jazz basketball. Lakers destroy the Utah Jazz. But what's interesting is now what's coming up after this that game and what the schedule looks like. And why it's similar to the last two years. We're going to get into that later. Uh, but next, Utah uh, and BYU. We'll also talk Utah State San Jose State. Don't worry. We are going to talk Aggies. We will, I promise you. But we've been getting complaints of, hey, we missed your Aggie portion because we were at work or whatever. So we usually save it for near the 5 o'clock hour when you guys are getting in your car or getting done with work. And then we can talk Aggies all you want. But this BYU-Utah game last night was really interesting and maybe a little telling of what next Saturday will look like when the Aggies head to Vivint Smart Home Arena and face those same BYU Cougars at 6 o'clock at night. Greg Madsen, I'm Audrey Salson, Full Court Press on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Aggies are number one here. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. One hundred six nine FM, thirteen ninety AM. The fan, Greg Matson on one side, I'm Ajay Salveson on the other. It's great to have you along. However, wherever you are joining us from on one hundred six nine FM, thirteen ninety AM. The fan. Don't forget, you can stream us on one hundred six nine FM or excuse me, one hundred six nine thefan.com. You can also find us on our podcast, Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. Type in the Full Court Press, and you can be able to look up all the shows content, bonus material included. Uh, you'll hear from Craig Smith uh, and Justin Bean a post game after the Aggies beat San Jose State. 71-59 at the Event Center Arena in San Jose, California. The Aggies get back on track for now. They get ready now to face Fresno State on Saturday. Uh, Fresno State lost to UNLV last night, 81-80, and falls to 2-4 and four on the season. Fresno is an extreme disappointment for the Mountain West. A team that was figured at least one of the teams contending for Mountain West Championship has fell behind and fell behind quickly. Uh, Utah Utes, BYU Cougars last night. We're going to talk about this game because, one, it's a rivalry. It's an in-state rivalry, and we need to. Two, BYU faces Utah State next Saturday. Uh, one kid in particular 
help the Utes get to this win, and it's a kid that you know very well. That's Ryland Jones, who, by the way, I didn't know this, was a former Cache Valley kid before he left and played at Olympus. Is Olympus, that right? Yep. Family moved to Olympus when his dad, Chris, took a job at the University of Utah as director of basketball operations. Uh, Ryland played his freshman season at Logan and uh, was an All-State player there. Uh, Ryland uh, graduated last this last year. This last year, and now so all of a sudden he finds himself in a rivalry game in a big one, too. Uh, Utah was down one with about 30 seconds remaining, and Jones missed a layup that would have put the Utes ahead. Uh, after Alex Barcelo had made two free throws, Jones then tied the game with a three to force overtime. Uh, and then at the end of the game, uh, took a charge, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. to seal the win yep. for the Utes. Tell yep. me about this Ryland Jones kid. Look, they've got Mason coming in. Here in a couple of years, they've got uh, Jackson Brinchley. Jackson Brinchley there right now with this young core. Because what Lone Peak was for BYU, right when they had Nick Emery and the Mika kid and Ty Hawes and everyone, th- or team TJ Hawes, everyone thought that that would be a nucleus that I was going to help BYU over the top. And instead, Nick Emery is now gone, as is Mika, and TJ's left standing there alone. <laughs> yeah. Is this is this group can help? Can they help Utah? get over that Pac-12 hump that they've been having to struggle with for so long. Well, before you go into that, I mean, let's talk about uh, BYU. One, one player with BYU in particular, that's Yoli Childs. Holy cow, the Bingham High product. He is a man among men. Uh, looked at the draft last year, decided to come back this year, and he was suspended by the NCAA. Uh, we could go into that forever, but he, <laughs> this is his first game back, and he just tore up the Utes until a, a cramp took him out of the game with so finally how long about did, six did, minutes to go. So okay, so it was with six minutes left in the game. Yeah. So did he play a lot of the second half, or is he, he in was, and out? He was off and on in the in the second half, but he still finished with twenty nine points, Ooh. fighting cramps. If he'd have been in the game, eh, it'd been a whole different different game for uh, BYU for sure. But yeah, so Ryland Jones uh, grew up in the area. His dad Chris was the assistant coach for Utah State. Uh, was eventually with Tim Durier, and then moved down to the University of Utah, where he graduated. And um, so the family moved to Salt Lake. Ryland transferred from Logan to Olympus, landed in a, a very nice place, and they uh, <laughs> ended up winning a state title or two. I can't remember. Um, well, maybe they played and lost in one. Then they lo- they won the next year, junior year, and then last year they lost to um, Corner Canyon in the in the playoffs, wow. who who ended up winning it. But Ryland was a kid that averaged in high school, averaged about twenty points a game. I'll be honest with you. If he wasn't so worried about getting other people in in the game and being active, he would have averaged easily 30 points a game, and you wouldn't have even known it because he was that smooth. Uh, Ryland, when he was a younger kid, was was just head and shoulders above everybody else with his mind and with his body physically, and in the sense of he could take over a game if he wanted to. But again, he was taught how to play basketball as a team player by his dad, and it was just amazing to watch this kid from third, fourth, fifth grade on. He's playing the same way now as a freshman in college. And, you know, the fact that he went to Olympus instead of finishing up with Logan was a was a bummer for the local people like me who wanted to see him tear it up. But what a great kid. Great kid. So Mason was on the same AAU team with Ryland, and Mason was right behind him in scoring. And Mason was a year younger playing up. And, uh, you know, Mason played on our team, our AAU team, and then he played on another AAU team the same age or his own age and was tearing it up at his own age. So, uh, you know, you asked the question, the Lone Peak question, I think it's going to be more difficult for Utah on that end because these guys are guards 
And I think you need some height. You need some size that the, the Lone Peak group brought to BYU. But I'm not going to discount Ryland or Mason because those two are amazing competitors. We'll get into that and just I want to I actually want to go deep in that conversation with you in just a few minutes. Uh, the, the crazy thing for BYU is that they were up eight with or excuse me up nine with eight minutes left. They had Jake Tolson three, and then all of a sudden you just go on this ten two run. I mean it was out of nowhere, uh, and all of a sudden this becomes a game. The biggest controversy controversy to this, well at least for one side, was the free throw disparity. And, I mean, of course, that's always going to be an issue. Uh, BYU was 13-17 at the line. The Utes were 24 of 31. Yeah, they both shot about the same, 77% roughly. But, you know, that really just tells me that, that the Utes were aggressive in getting to the basket. Because I'm pretty sure, pretty confident that BYU is playing good, solid defense. And it's not lazy fouls that are putting the Utes to the line. So that just really tells me, as a, as a former coach, I coached over at Bear River for seven or eight years with Coach Van Park over there, it just tells me that the Utes were aggressive in getting to the basket. And and that really is, it's obviously a two-prong approach. You're getting foul shots, but you're putting those those opponents in foul trouble, making them a little more tentative by getting them into foul trouble. So, you know, that that's a telltale sign. But you look at the rebounds, BYU had 33 versus Utah's 28. Uh, the assists were about even. And again, Ryland had five or six of those assists. Uh, so it, it really was an even game. So the score is not a surprise at all. No. Look at, look at the turnover line, though, AJ. 20 BYU turnovers versus 11 Utah turnovers. Who has the ball the most time with Utah? RJ. Rylan Jones. <laughs> Yoli Childs, as you said, went 12-16 from the field, 3-3 three three from deep. Like, that guy with this team is just a different animal. 29 points in all for him. Jake Tolson was really good, 9-15 from the field. 27 points, and he was 6-6 six of six the charity stripe, 3-3 three three from deep. But after the game, there was a little spat between, if I am not, if I heard correctly, because I didn't watch the game, a little spat between uh, Coach Pope and uh, Coach Jones, and then Jake Tolson was a part of that as well. Yeah. A little bit of uh, yeah, jawing back and forth from, after the game. From the reports that they, of course, when the game ends, they cut off the coverage, and it's no big deal. But Tolson apparently, when, when the game was ending, he was over at the, in front of the Utah bench and jawing a little bit at the Utah coaches, players, whatever it may be. But then there's accusations that was going the other way too, that some of the Utah coaches were jawing it at the BYU players. So, uh, you know, this is a heated rivalry. A few years ago, Coach Kristoviak canceled the series. Because Nick Emery pegged someone in the face, right? Uh, Brandon Taylor. That's right. Cra- cracked him where he shouldn't be cracked. And uh, Coach Coach Kristoviak canceled the series, and he actually paid the fine to get out, the the contractual fine to get out of that. And, uh, so that, you know, there's a little bit of bad blood there. Sadly, you want the, I don't know if you want a, a Lavelle Ron McBride situation when the, when these players, uh, when these teams play, but you, you want some civility and you want this to happen. You want to keep seeing a Utah BYU series. You want to see a Utah state BYU, a Utah yeah. state Utah series. I mean, imagine that Utah state with the connection with Brinchley and Jones, playing against uh, Utah. I mean, that that would just be an amazing series. But for some reason, the Pac-12 uh, affiliation with Utah has kind of got them thinking a little differently. And uh, and so it's not happening as much as the fans would really like it. Uh, with that, um, Yuli Childs and this BYU team, what issues can they give Utah State? Assuming that Keta is playing next Saturday night, 6 o'clock, at Vimis Romarini versus BYU, if Nick Keta plays, 
what issues do you feel like this BYU team can give Utah State? Well, Yildy Childs is a is a true stretch player. He obviously plays as a big man in their offense because he is 6'8", 6'9", but he can shoot it. In fact, his first three shots against Utah were, were three-pointers when he stepped on the floor after being off for those eight or so games. Uh, so can they match up with Yildy Childs? That'll be the key. It hasn't, uh, hasn't been possible in the past, but uh, Utah State, with some of their length and some of their defensive prowess, might be able to actually neutralize that particular one. You know, after that, Jake Toulson, is that somebody that, again, Utah State can match up with? Are they good enough to cover him? His statistics would say yes, because his team high or his previous career high was 14. So he goes off for 27 against, um, against Utah. So I would say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They can match up with him. And, and Yuli Childs is the key for the Aggies. Will they be able to cover him up? All right, I want to get back to Rylan Jones, Jackson Brantley in this group. Mason Falta was one of, we just talked about one of the best athletes, if not the best athlete right now in the state of Utah. If there's one thing that you could take of Rylan Jones and make to give to Mason to make him a better athlete and vice versa, what would you give the two well, athletes? For? Well, Mason can dunk and Rylan can't. <laughs> I texted Rylan a while ago, and I said, hey, good job, good game, buddy. And I said, the only thing I'm going to ask you is I need a dunk out of you. And he wrote me back, and he said, that's not part of my repertoire. <laughs> well, make about, it part of it. He's about six foot six one, and he's, he's not much of a leaper. So, um, you know, Mason, again, at 6'3", is such a freaky athlete, and he's been that freaky athlete for 10-plus years. So is it a surprise that he's doing what he's doing in football and basketball, absolutely not. People that have seen him know that, and they knew what they were going to get when he got to high school. Will that be able to transition over into college? Knowing Mason, I would say probably will. Yeah, absolutely. Are you surprised that Ryland's been able to transition to the game as well as he has this early? I wasn't sure. Now, again, I'm just an outsider looking on like everybody else. Just I just know the kid a little bit. Um, I wasn't sure that he was going to be able to make that transition. We talked pre-show about quickness and, and guards stepping into the Pac-12 and being able to stay with some of those major college guards. Uh, you know, you never know with, with a high school kid making that transition whether they'll be able to be quick enough to guard guys because you got to stay in front of them. In fact, Coach Jones used to say to the AAU team that all these kids were on, don't get beat. It was that simple. Don't get beat. Well, if you're quick enough, you're not going to get beat. And, and Ryland obviously was quick enough as a young man and, and in high school. And so I'm a little surprised at that. I, I wasn't sure he was going to be a starter right away. I felt like maybe his sophomore year he would step in and, and be able to tear it up. But, man, oh, man, he's having a, a, just a great early part of the season as a, as a true freshman. Again, final score there uh, for in Salt Lake City, Utah 102, BYU 95. BYU falls to 6-4 and four in the season. Uh, they will now face the Utah State Aggies next Saturday at Vivian Small Home Arena. Utah State, on the other hand, winners last night over San Jose State, 71-59. I feel like that score's wrong. I'm going to look that up. I feel like that's way off, though. Maybe I'm way off. Uh, but uh, they anyway, San Jose State uh, is uh, – Utah State beat San Jose State. 71-59. 71-59. Okay, I was correct. Uh, dude, it's been a long day. I just got done doing VFX. 
I'm doing this show, and I got to go call Mountain Crest Mustang basketball tonight. Like it's just been a long day. Go Mustangs! Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Justin Bean, 18 points, 18 points, 14 boards. Uh, Sam Errol chips in with 14 at eight in the second half, and a very key run in the second half, uh, holding San Jose State to not one but two droughts. One five minutes, the other just a little over two and a half, uh, and uh, just locking down defensively. Uh, Utah State looked really, really good. Uh, in the second half. The first half was pretty sketchy at moments, to say the least. Uh, with one thing from Utah State that you would see so far as a weakness is what, if there is? Well, I think I think the height issue is always going to be something until they get their big Me's guy back. back. Yeah. And when that happens, then that's a totally different scenario. But, um, you know, to go on the road to a San Jose, even though San Jose State's not a great team, three and six, zero and one in, in the conference now, I think winning on the road is, it says a ton about a team because it's never easy to win on the road. But I think a height issue is always something that's going to, to jump up at you. I mean, the guys that led the Aggies in scoring were all six, six ish, six, seven. And you could have a team full of six, six guys, the NBA is going to a shorter team now. I mean, it's just, it's possible, but I still think you need to have that 6'10 guy that's a dominant player in the middle that can that can be a defensive stopper and then also provide a little bit of offense. Uh, the Jazz with um, with their team and their players, they've got a big guys that, that can't score to save their life, but they can sure play some defense. So, that would be the thing that I would say about Utah State. That's probably the theme that's been with about them forever is that big guy that can play and score. And that's probably, in my mind, that's a weakness that they may fix and fill. Trevin Doria started as a big man for Utah State. He came out about three minutes into the game. He was already on the bench for Alfonso Anderson. And by the way, Alfonso Anderson has been just money for this team. Uh, Trevin Doria finishes 2 of 4 from the field in 13 minutes of time. Uh, Sam Merrill, 5 of 14 from the field, 1 of 4 from deep, 3 of 6 from the line. He, in 34 minutes, had 14 points uh, and 3 assists, 2 rebounds. Uh, Brock Miller was not great, to be honest with you. 3 of 8 from the field, 1 of 4 from deep. In 32 minutes, he had 7 points. Uh, He did have 5 rebounds, though. Uh, And Alfonso Anderson, 5 of 11 from the field. He, in 25 minutes, had 12 points and 3 rebounds, no assists. He did have 4 turnovers as well. Uh, but I, again, I, I thought he's actually played pretty good basketball for the most part. Abel Porter, over five from the field in 30 minutes. Uh, he had four rebounds and uh, let me show you, it's three assists. Yeah, three assists right there. He only had, in fact, he only had one turnover for the night. Um, you know, but, that's a, that's a good rebound though against, after the first loss of the season against St. Mary's. Mary's. Yeah. 81-73, they lost on the 29th. Utah so, Utah yeah. State led points in the paint, 46-22. Second chance points, 13-7. Fast break, they lost the fast break points, actually, 12-11. to And they won the bench scoring 23-20, to which is uh, actually kind of impressive to, to, just with the lack of height. In fact, uh, with that, in fact, they're 6-1 and and 32-3 and under head coach Craig Smith when leading at the break at half, which he did at 36-33. And they outscored San Jose State 46-22 in the paint. Sixth time this season the Aggies have done so. And, the uh, and in fact, every single game except the St. Mary's game, they've won the battle of the boards. 
Uh, but they did shoot. They did shoot a season low, Greg. Fifty-five uh, percent. They were eleven to twenty from uh, from the free throw line. Not good from the free throw line at all. In fact, four seventeen from deep. Now, fifty-five percent from the field is actually pretty good in in today's modern game where there's so many three-point shots taken. Hey, let me let me throw this at you. Attendance. Guess an attendance without cheating. Don't cheat. Don't look. Okay. This is at uh, Provident Credit Union Event Center in San Jose, California. I'm gonna it's an s- event center, so it's got to be big. S- I'm just watching the game last night. Seven hundred. Oh, you're much more uh, generous than you. <laughs> no, uh, official attendance twenty two ninety four. How many of those actually showed up? Probably, oh. probably closer to yeah. When you watch those There's games no on way. TV and and the whole crowd is empty, it's almost like a stage for a movie theater. In a movie, because there's there's so many empty seats in these things. I think that's BYU's problem too. Is they go to these these little small gyms where there's there's a thousand or two thousand people watching a game, and holy cow! I mean, what a difference. Uh, Justin Bean again scored in double figures with 18. He had to finish with a double double with 14 boards. In fact, he played a career high 37 minutes out of the 40. 37. Uh, and it's his fourth straight double-double, sixth this season, and seventh of his career so far. That kid has been a machine uh, so far. Diego Brito scored in double figures. He had 10 points, sixth time this season, 25th, 25th time in his career in the last two years. By the way, in the last two years, Utah State is 19-0 and when Brito scores in double figures. That uh, I saw him in the LSU game on TV. That was a fun one to watch. He was... He was having fun out there on the floor, wasn't he? Yeah, you could tell. You could tell he was having a lot of fun. And again, when you come back from nineteen down, it, it definitely helps. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a positive. Yeah, Utah State gets ready for Fresno State again Saturday night at, uh, or excuse me, Saturday afternoon, four o'clock game. Get there early. Here's the thing: a promotion. The first two hundred people will get a ball cap to put on their heads in honor of Coach Craig Smith. Please dress in a white shirt and tie. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like a bald cap. Mm-hmm. With a D? Bald? Yeah, bald cap <laughs> with a D. And you're going to put it on your head, and they're going to honor Coach Smith. And, oh. and you wear a white shirt and tie. Oh, boy. that's uh, It's going to be fun. That's creative creative marketing right there by Utah State. First 200 to do it, we'll, uh, or to get there, we'll uh, be able to uh, get a bald cap and throw that thing on your head and support Coach Smith. you got to slow down when you say that, a bald Oh, okay. Calm down. <laughs> My gosh. Okay, so who was the intern that went in to talk to Coach Smith about that? Hey, hey, Coach, we want to do this promotion <laughs> where we're gonna we're gonna make fun of your lack of hair, and and here's what we're gonna do. I think it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. <laughs> Such was the case here. Uh, and then Utah State. Now I got a question for you here, and just kind of go into your coaching mind again. Coach Matson joined us, former coach of Bear River High School. Uh, they play St. Catherine on December 10th. Sisters of what? <laughs> uh, so, sorry. So, so with that, and with them playing BYU next Saturday, would you play Sam or Ketta or Bean or Bree, or do you say, no way, not risk an injury to a game that just doesn't even matter? Well, I mean, these are all preseason. There's, yeah, there's, there's absolutely no way you don't play them. However, if the game gets out of hand, you got to be – you got to be careful. I don't want to say be smart because I'm not the coach sitting on the bench, but you got to be careful. I mean, if you're up 40 with 10 minutes to go, maybe maybe you take them out so you don't risk that injury. I've seen too many guys, too many stars that were left in to pad stats in high school, college, pro that get injured late in the game and 
And so you don't want something like that to happen. But no, they got to play. They got to. You they think so? They sharp. still because with the way the oh, road yeah. schedule, how brutal it's been, you'd still play them on Monday. Oh yeah. Well, it's a Tuesday game or Tuesday Saturday Saturday BYU. I don't I don't think there's any question that they're they're going to win that game. They got to they got to win. I mean, they got to show up and win. Who knows how how good or bad St. Catherine is. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think they start them and they play them and they, and they play about half of the second half. If, if if it's a blowout, then you get them out. But you got to state I mean, that's almost like a practice game, I'm guessing. So, yeah. You play them, and, and then once it gets out of hand, you pull them out. Again, that game is at 7 o'clock Tuesday night, St. Catherine. That's part of that. So Jamaica Class, the Jersey Mike Jamaica Classic Tournament, was supposed to help out in these home games. And from what I've heard, it didn't go through for them. So they had to go out and scramble to get two home games. So they got one on the 10th and one on the 28th. Uh, and on the 28th, it's like Evergreen or something like that. Eastern Evergreen. Oregon. Oh, Eastern Oregon, excuse That's me. That's like an NAI school, I'm guessing. Or the, or the two games that will be home games yeah. uh, for Utah State to make up for that Jamaica Classic. And so... Um, Boy, but in between. Whew. Yeah, and see, that's the thing is, like, when you, and that's why I was wondering if you play your stars, because you've got BYU, and then the following week, is that when they go from that Houston to Florida? South Florida, yeah. Yeah, they have South Florida at the Toyota Center in Houston, and then they go across the country to Miami and play Florida. Yeah, they'll stay out, I would guess, for Yes, that. they are staying out, the, by the way, they are going to be gone for the whole entire week. Yep, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's, but those games are far enough apart. You're four days, three days between each game. I don't think there's any question that that everybody it's all hands on deck. You're trying to win as many games as you can. They're they're looking towards the end of the season. They think they've got a pretty good team and you know, they're looking for seeding and so absolutely you don't want to risk losing to a St. Catherine or even making it close and you want to win that BYU game, you want to beat South Florida convincingly and then you got you know, you got the SEC team in Florida in Florida. So uh, yeah, absolutely play everybody hard and then when you come back home on the 28th that you play Eastern Oregon, same principle as that St. Catherine. You you play to win. Once you get far enough ahead, you pull your guys out and let some of the other players in get some time. That's Greg Matson. I'm Andre Salveson here on the Full Court Press. Coming back, we'll wrap up the first hour, and uh, we'll get you ready. In fact, the second hour, I want to talk a little college football. Nice. Uh, we got a big conference championship weekend. Uh, I want to know your thoughts on this Utah-Oklahoma 5-6 situation. What has to happen for the Utes to make the playoff and ruin Paul Feinbaum's life? <laughs> oh, Paul Feinbaum, Mr. SEC. Oh, my gosh, is he ever. I had a rant yesterday, and I told myself that today I would calm down and not do that to our fans. But I, I'd like to hear what your thoughts would be on how to, for uh, Utah to uh, enter or at least get themselves in the playoff. Uh, we'll get into that in the second hour, and then uh, we'll also get more talk uh, of uh, college football, college basketball, uh, and NBA as well. I talk about the Full Court Press. I'm Audrey Salson. That's Greg Matson, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Interviews, analysis, and a little bit of fun mixed in. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Greg Matson, Andre Salveson here on the Full Court Press. By the way, you can catch Greg Matson on the uh, Coach's Community Show uh, on 104.9 The Ranch. 
home of the Bear River Bears. Is that correct? Yeah, Bear River High School Coaches and Community Show, Mondays at 6 p.m. on 104.9, The Ranch. That's good stuff. Uh, I know you always have some great guests, who unique guests as well. You talk about what's going on in the community, which is really, yeah. really fun to listen to. Yeah, we do a 20-minute segment on community, things that are happening with somebody uh, with a community event, whatever it may be, and then, we, uh, then we'll take a, a quote-unquote lesser sport or a non-revenue sport. Uh, this last week, we talked a little bit about, uh, well, we talked girls basketball. We talked about uh, wrestling previously. We t- of course, those are revenue sports, but we've had wrestlers, swimmers, all that. So, yeah, it's uh, and then we finish up with Bear River Basketball with Coach Reggie Shaw because we carry those games on 104.9 The Ranch. And, you know, that actually leads me to asking you this. What uh, This Bear River Basketball team, they lose a couple of starters now, down to really two legit scores and Ren Fonsbeck and Mark Huber uh, in about – 30 seconds. Tell me what you think about this Bear River team and if can they compete again like they did last year and make a run at a, at least a state championship appearance? Yeah, it'll be it'll be tough for them, but I think with uh, Ren Fonsbeck and Mark Huber at uh, guard position, those guys will average about 20 points a game. And then uh, beyond that, Logan Litchford's a big guy, 6'3", 6'4". He'll, he'll provide some punch inside. And then they've got a great junior class that's going to step up. So watch out for uh, Bear River for sure. All right, that's Greg Matson. I'm Aljay Salison. Coming up in the second hour of the Full Court Press, we'll get you some college football playoff talk, and we'll also get you some Utah Jazz talk coming up now. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. Well, guess who's back? Eli Manning is expected to start for the Giants on Monday night because rookie Daniel Jones has a high ankles frame. New York is 2-10, and 10, so there will be no miracles this time around for Eli. But I'm sure his fans will be happy to see him. If you want to start a debate in a bar pretty much anywhere in America, ask the simple question, is Eli a Hall of Famer? We know the resume, two Super Bowl wins, currently ranks eighth all-time in passing yards, and whether or not they admit it, voters will give him an edge because he played in New York, and his last name's Manning. On the negative side, he's led the NFL in interceptions three times, has thrown more picks than any other active quarterback, and while he did win those Super Bowls, his Giants often miss the playoffs altogether. But that debate can wait, at least for now, because it looks like we'll have at least one more week of Eli Manning, and maybe a couple more and all the good and bad that comes with it. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.